This is the Lightning Junkies Podcast with your host, Chaz Kryptoson. On this episode of the podcast, we have Trey Griffith from SparkSwap. A few weeks ago, SparkSwap released their new product, SparkSwap Desktop, a piece of desktop software that allows you to purchase Bitcoin on the Lightning Network with USD. I've personally been using SparkSwap Desktop to purchase my Bitcoin and it is a very good experience. Dare I say it's a better experience than using Cash App. On this episode of the podcast, we discuss SparkSwap, SparkSwap Desktop, the future of Lightning Network, the implications of privacy on the Lightning Network, and a bit more. This is the fourth episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. We're going to have some great guests in the next few weeks, and in the middle of October, I will be going to the Lightning Network conference in Berlin. This will be the second Bitcoin-related conference that I have ever attended, and I'm very excited. It is my goal to interview some people there for the podcast and bring some great content for you, my listeners. This is the part on any other podcast where they would begin shilling you different uh, sponsorships and ads, but this podcast has no sponsors. I rely completely on my audience in order to fund and otherwise improve this podcast. If you find this podcast useful or you learn something, please consider chipping in at the crowdfunding link in the show notes. You can also tip me with tipping.me and bottle.li. That being said, let's go ahead and jump into the fourth episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. to go ahead and welcome Trey to the Lightning Junkies podcast. How are you doing today, Trey? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So what I wanted to start with something a little bit kind of more personal here. I believe back in March, uh, you had uh, contacted me when I was experiencing kind of some issues on my end, kind of personal issues. I was broadcasting on Twitter a little bit. And I just wanted to thank you for, you know, reaching out to me and kind of a sharing some uh, resources for that on that end. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I think um, obviously whenever someone, you know, expresses something like that, uh, I think it's important to kind of take that seriously. And one thing I like about uh, working in, in, in Bitcoin is, you know, it feels like a pretty small community, even though it's, it's pretty big. And so, you know, felt like a, felt like a a good, you know, you felt like someone that I knew maybe more than I do. um, So it felt like the right thing to do. Well, I really appreciate it. But Let's go ahead and move on to the more, uh, you know, the subject of the podcast here. Sure. So, you know, I, you know, like to kind of start out with the traditional question of, you know, how did you get into Bitcoin and how was your uh, journey into the, the space here? Sure. Yeah. You know, my my Bitcoin journey really started for me when I was I was working at BlackRock. Uh, I was working at a subsidiary, uh, working on wealth management technology. And as part of that job, uh, you know, I worked with a lot of uh, U.S. retail banks uh, and other financial institutions, doing a lot of kind of technology integration work. And you know, I I knew about Bitcoin kind of tangentially, but I I hadn't really done a ton of research into it. And about that same time, I started doing more of my own research kind of while I was doing this job that required me to work with a bunch of traditional financial institutions. And that's really what made Bitcoin click for me was just, you know, that this was kind of a new technology platform that, uh, you know, had the the ability to kind of replace a lot of what we do in, in 
kind of strange ways today that are based on, you know, these trusted relationships between institutions and, you know, codified regulations and things like that. And so that's really what kind of flipped the switch for me and really kind of convinced me that this was something really interesting and, and worth worth looking at more closely. Um, and six months after that, um, I left that job to kind of work full time on on Bitcoin. And that, you know, led to uh, starting SparkSwap, which was really kind of my trying to, to solve my own problem of being able to trade Bitcoin without having to give up custody of it, which just seemed like a very strange thing to me that, you know, here's this technology that's really predicated on, you know, being able to own an asset really own it um, and not not have it depend on someone else saying that you own it, but you couldn't actually acquire it or trade it uh, in that same context. So that's really what I wanted to solve uh, with with SparkSwap. And that's really what we've been working on since, um, you know, since late 2017. Got it. So would you say that you were interested in the Lightning Network previous to SparkSwap or did it kind of start around the same time? No, it really it really started around the same time. I mean, I, I knew about Lightning, um, but I hadn't done that much research into it. I kind of knew about it more in the context of the the whole SegWit, you know, the SegWit, you know, adoption debate that you know obviously resulted in in Bcash hard forking off. That was kind of how I knew about Lightning. But for me, you know, what really what really made Lightning interesting was that you could do things like this instant settlement. And to me, that was like just a huge deal for, you know, trading and, and other financial applications that it's like, okay, we have this money that, you know, that is, you know, fully self-sovereign, but now we have another network on top of it that allows you to do these instant transfers and, you know, also do more interesting transactions like atomic swaps and things like that. So um, that's really what what got me super excited about Lightning. And I think at the time... In late 2017, because of the whole SegWit thing, um, you know, I think there were a lot of people who have been in Bitcoin a lot longer than I have that were just a little bit jaded about Lightning and thought like, oh, this is never going to ship. People have been talking about this for years. But, I, you know, I think coming at it from a fresh perspective was really helpful for me because, you know, I just looked at the activity on GitHub, um, you know, that there were, you know, multiple implementations being built out. You could see, you know, what still needed to be done, what was already done, um, you know, what developers were working on it. And so it was pretty clear to me that this was a, a viable you know, platform and that it was going to be shipped relatively soon. And so it was kind of worth investing in as far as like, you know, investing my time into. And, you know, obviously it went to mainnet uh, in early 2018. And I think that's kind of when everyone else kind of realized the same thing that it's like, you know, even though this has taken a while, it, it is real um, and it really can solve some some problems for Bitcoin. Okay, great. Um, could you go a bit more into how SparkSwap came into existence? Um, sure. Yeah. So, you know, I, this was something that I was working on just on my own. Uh, you know, I, I had been doing some some trading and, and really wanted to find kind of a way to trade without um, giving up custody. Um, I looked at a lot of the solutions that were out there and, and just found them to be kind of lacking. Um, and I thought a big part of that was, you know, this ability to have um, trades that settle really quickly, um, you know, something comparable to to a regular exchange, or at least a regular cryptocurrency exchange, a custodial cryptocurrency exchange. And so I started working on this just as kind of a project, I, I started with kind of like on chain atomic swaps, and then started pretty quickly working on atomic swaps on lightning. Uh, you know, when I saw the demo from lightning labs in November 2017, that was that was a, a huge deal for me and kind of a turning point in terms of realizing that this was a technology that we could use to do, you know, trust 
trustless atomic swaps uh, and have those settle instantly. So I started working on that, you know, pretty much full time, just working on a demo for it and, you know, started recruiting a team. And we, we went through Y Combinator in summer 2018 and, and really just focused on, you know, getting getting a version of this software out there that that did what we thought it could do. Um, and so in in August 2018, we finally released um, a version of the software that uh, on testnet you allowed you to trade between Litecoin and Bitcoin with a, a you know an, an atomic swap on Lightning, which was which was kind of the first product of its kind. And then in I think April of 2019, we released that same product on mainnet. So you could trade Bitcoin and Litecoin on mainnet um, with an instant atomic swap over, over the Lightning Network. And that was, you know, the first time that had been done, um, which was, you know, we thought important. But, you know, that product was really, you know, required you to use a command line interface, it required that you install Docker. So it was really kind of aimed at a, a, a more kind of I don't know, technical audience or a developer audience. Um, and so, you know, from the very beginning, we've wanted this to be a product that can be used by a lot more people, um, that can be used for kind of more common use cases, I'll say, you know, like USD, uh, for example. Um, and so that's kind of the the path that we've taken to get to where we are now, which is, you know, just uh, last week launching uh, SparkSwap Desktop. Absolutely. I definitely want to get into the uh, SparkSwap Desktop portion, but I want to take a step back sure. here. Yeah. So do you have any plans to do anything more with the uh, the Litecoin, Bitcoin atomic swap portion, or is that kind of on the back burner at the moment? Yeah, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think right now we're really focused on kind of SparkSwap desktop and, and seeing seeing the, the response to that. You know, Litecoin, Bitcoin kind of as a trading pair hasn't, it, you know, isn't really quite as popular. And uh, and the Litecoin Lightning Network is, is also, you know, just not, not as popular. Um, and so, you know, I think for us, like, you know, we think that Bitcoin is really important and that's that's where we want to spend, you know, most of our time. But we also want to be responsive to our users and kind of, you know, give them things that that they want and that they're looking for that, you know, aren't sort of don't compromise their security or our security or things like that. So, you know, I would say we'll see. You know, I still think that, you know, the kind of like pure atomic swap where you're going between two chains is is super interesting and, and could have some really interesting applications. But, you know, we want to we want to build things that that people want and that people use and so right now we're going to see kind of what we can do with with SparkSwap desktop and, and really just see see where our users want to take us okay um so let's go ahead and jump into that then uh, could you tell me a little bit more about the SparkSwap desktop uh, how does it work sure yeah so it's a um a desktop application uh for mac windows and linux um that allows you to buy bitcoin using usd instantly so you can buy bitcoin over the lightning network with usd so um you know the way that it works is that you you download the application and then you have to connect it to an existing LND instance. And once you do that, you can connect your bank account, deposit USD from your bank account. And once that USD is in there, you can make a purchase of Bitcoin. The purchase of Bitcoin is transferred to your LND instance you know, immediately. It's actually done via you know, the, the kind of mechanism by which we transfer the Bitcoin to you is sort of this, you know, facsimile of an atomic swap. It's obviously not atomic because it's dealing with USD, which really can't, you know, there's no no such thing as 
atomicity with with USD, but it's something close to it, mainly so that, you know, if there's something like, you know, I don't know, there's not enough capacity on your lightning channel or something like that, um, the transaction just doesn't go through. Um, so we have kind of this, this single transaction concept where the USD gets transferred from your account to SparkSwap and SparkSwap's account in exchange for the Bitcoin um, in a Lightning channel. So the, the the nice thing about that is, you know, it's in a Lightning channel, so it's it's in your control completely. It happens in you know a few seconds, and you can spend it on things on the Lightning network, or you can you know transfer it to a cold wallet somewhere, or you know just keep it on your LND. Um, so it kind of gives you some optionality without, and we think it gives you a, a convenient experience that's similar to you know, what you get on, you know, custodial exchanges or other kind of fiat on ramps. But rather than having the Bitcoin held in someone else's wallet, it's held in your wallet um, with you holding the keys. Um, so, you know, it, we think it's it's obviously like a V1. It's only available on desktop, so it's not available on mobile. Um, you have to connect to an existing LND instance. Um, there's there's a lot we can do to improve the onboarding, to expand geographically. But you know, we think it's a a really it's the kind of first product of its kind um, that allows you to you know hook up a bank account and and buy Bitcoin instantly. So we think it's an exciting product and one that you know we personally, as members of the team here, use quite a bit. Absolutely, my first experience with it was pretty magical. Uh... Once everything was kind of ironed out there. Yeah, right. If I could just ask really quickly, sure. obviously there's a KYC, you know, dealing with USD here. Can you go into, into that a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think this is something that a lot of uh, Bitcoiners um, focus on, rightfully so, is is the KYC component. You know, we think it's important that this is a service that's... Um, you know, useful for people, you know, that that's convenient for people and uh, that is sustainable, you know, something that we can run for years. And so to do that, you know, right now in the U.S., that means, you know, complying with with these regulations um, that kind of require us to have this program to make sure that we're, you know, we're we're following the laws of the places where we're operating and the places where we're located. You know, I think there's more we can do to make that experience better for people um, to kind of collect the right amount of information for um, for the user and for the transactions that they're trying to do. So that's definitely an area of focus for us to kind of improve that experience. But, you know, I, I, we just think it's really important to, you know, serve people in the U.S., um, and have a sustainable business. So, um, you know, that's really kind of the the genesis of that. Absolutely. So when I was going through the process myself, I noticed that the USD was held by something called Anchor USD or USD Anchor. I can't remember. It looks like to me, after kind of looking at it, it was a uh, Stellar Lumens Anchor. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah. So Anchor USD is a, a company that that issues issue stable coins, you know, USD backed stable coins that are held in a trust company in the US. They do, I think they started with um, Stellar. I think they issue on a few other chains now as well. Um, for us, you know, really the, the reason we're working with them is they built this custom API for us that allows us to do kind of an, an escrow, a, a SHA-256 hash escrow that is, you know, pretty similar in terms of uh, structure to uh, a lightning HTLC. You know, there's a timeout on it after which it expires. You can use the pre-image to a hash to 
um, to kind of move, you know, finish the escrow to re- redeem the escrow and do that in an automated way. But rather than in Lightning, where it's sort of a, a cryptographic process that is ultimately settled by the, the Bitcoin blockchain, in this case, it's, you know, it's just an API run by Anchor USD. Um, so that we thought was an important structure to have in place to really kind of get the features that we wanted for our users um, in terms of, you know, making sure that they're only giving us USD when, when we're actually giving them Bitcoin. So, you know, the actual structure of the transaction is that they, you know, our users will send us an escrow on Anchor USD that is locked by, you know, a SHA-256 hash. And then we use the pre-image to retrieve that USD. And then the client, the SparkSwap app, actually uses that pre-image to then get the um, the hash time lock contract on the Bitcoin side. Um, so we thought that was a valuable feature. And so that's kind of, that, that's really where Anchor USD comes in is really operating that API. So, you know, their platform is one that we feel good about in terms of their relationship with a US bank, the fact that they have, you know, third-party audits that are ongoing. So, you know, that's why we why we ultimately chose to work with them, but you know, there's really not kind of a a stellar component to the product. Okay, understood then. Moving on a little bit, I was kind of wondering, you know, you know, using the product and everything, how does a Spark Swap actually make a profit or do they make a profit at this point? Yeah, so I mean, we're definitely not profitable overall at this point. You know, it's it's early days for us, but uh, the the way that we you know intend to make money and the way that we we make some money right now is in a spread between kind of how you know the prices at which we acquire Bitcoin and the prices at which we sell Bitcoin to users. That spread right now is um, pretty small, but you know we're, we're going to experiment with kind of you know where we source Bitcoin from to try to you know really get the best price that we can um, and kind of you know make sure that our prices continue to be competitive. Um, once we add in selling, we might just, you know, have a, a very explicit fee, you know, here's, here's the price, and then here's the fee you're doing on top of it. But yeah, so it, it will be sort of some, some version of a transaction fee on, you know, buys and sells of Bitcoin. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. You mentioned, you know, adding selling. Uh, is there anything else that you imagine is, you know, coming down the pipeline for SparkSwap? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, at this point, there's, there's, too many things. Uh, the, the hard, the hard thing right now is choosing choosing which one to focus on first. You know, I think selling selling is an obvious one um, and one that we've heard from users as as being important. Another one that that I think is pretty important is adding more platforms. You know, we think desktop is an important platform and a good first platform. But um, you know, we think that mobile is really really important, uh, and that's something that we want to that we want to do. You know, also kind of support for more clients, you know, more lightning clients, potentially more lightning implementations as well. And just making those connections easier. You know, something we've heard from a lot of users is, you know, they'd like to be able to hook up their CASA. Um, That's something that we're, we're working on. Uh, We're working with the CASA team to see if we can make that happen. So, you know, really just expanding the ways in which you can use SparkSwap. And then another big focus for us is uh, geographic expansion. You know, we're, operating in the US right now in 22 states. We want to expand to many more states, hopefully all 50, although some states have you know fairly strict uh, regulation around this stuff. And then we'd like to go international too. I mean, I think one of the sort of the coolest things about this industry is just how global it is. And so, and we have a lot of users from other countries that want to use SparkSwap. And so we want to be able to, to serve them uh, in the same way that we serve users in the US. Um, and then finally, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but you know, a, a big thing for us is just making sure that that initial onboarding experience is smooth. It's not, it's not where we want it to be 
yet. Um, and we think there's more we can do to make that that process better. So that's certainly something that I think you'll see some changes from us in the next uh, weeks and months. Okay. Along the same topic, I was kind of curious, you know, let's say a uh, complete newbie is, you know, thrown at SparkSwap. What sort of things are you doing to kind of make it easier for them to be able to jump in as easily as possible? Yeah. I mean, certainly one thing that we think we can do is, you know, making the process, if you don't already have L&D or had never heard of L&D, making that process better. Um, We haven't really decided on kind of what the right way to do that is, but that's certainly a focus for us, you know, whether that's, you know, integrating to existing clients or, or other things that we can do. So, so I, I think for, for a newbie, you know, I, I think that's an important thing to do as well as really not exposing as much of the kind of lightning network internals to a user. You know, I, I think in particular, one of the things that I struggle with is how to talk to users about channels you know, what a channel is, what does it mean that you have money in this channel? What does the inbound capacity number mean? So so that's something that I think that, you know, we kind of as a community can do better. So yeah, I mean, those, those are the things I think about. And actually, you know, mobile for me is also one of those things um, where, you know, when I talk to people who are not into Lightning, there seems to be kind of a much greater willingness to download a mobile app than, than download a desktop app. Um, and so I think that even that alone is something that we can do that, that would really just make us more accessible to people who've never, never even heard of Lightning. Yeah, I would you know, love to have a SparkSwap mobile app for sure. <laughs> so my own kind of personal uh, hypothesis is it's very easy and it's very kind of interesting or a good thing to onboard newbies directly onto the Lightning Network and kind of skip over the base chain of Bitcoin. Do you have any opinion about that at all? Oh, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I haven't really thought about that too much as far as like an either or proposition. I think there are certainly things about Lightning that make it easier to understand or at least sort of more comparable to things that people who are not familiar with Bitcoin are are used to. You know, you could imagine something that is, you know, lightning enabled feeling a lot like Venmo or feeling a lot like, you know, paying with PayPal or something like that. And, And sort of just being being something that that people who have nothing, you know, know nothing about Bitcoin can really kind of like uh grab onto. Uh so I I think that that could be valuable. I don't know. I you know the the kind of either or is is interesting. I think that probably people should at least kind of maybe not understand Bitcoin, but, you know, appreciate Bitcoin. And if the way that they buy Bitcoin is on Lightning, you know, I think that might not be a bad experience for them either, because uh, that kind of gives them gives them choices and options. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting hypothesis. Understood. So I noticed that you were going uh, to the Lightning Network conference in Berlin next month. Are you excited about anything in particular at that conference? Well, I, I mean, I think first and foremost, I'm just excited that there is a, a Lightning Network conference. You know, this is the first one. There's a lot of people in the Lightning community that I've kind of met over the years, either in person at, at things like Lightning Hack Day or at kind of other conferences like Bitcoin 2019 or, or just online. And so I'm just glad that there's going to be kind of a, an event to bring all of those people together um, that's really focused on Lightning and, and the things that are happening in Lightning. You know, I think kind of every every Lightning-focused event that I've I've been to 
I just, I learn something new. I meet interesting people. It feels like kind of some of the most exciting stuff happening in, in Bitcoin is, is happening on Lightning. Um, and so I just think that's a, that's a really great experience. And yeah, so I, I mean, I don't know if there's any, you know, a lot of the speakers I, I've, uh, you know, I've seen them before, um, but, you know, usually they have new and interesting things to say. So, you know, I'm excited about that. I also think there's going to be some, I, I'm not totally clear, but I think there's some kind of like coding or hackathon components. Um, and, and I'm pretty excited about that. You know, I, I've, I was a judge at the Bitcoin 2019 uh, hackathon uh, for Lightning specifically. And I just always love the kind of little projects that people come up with um, on Lightning. There's always some kind of new, interesting twist that I had never thought about before. And I just, I, I love that. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to see some of that stuff. Is there any project, um, you know, that's using Lightning right now that really gets you excited? Oh, like existing Lightning projects that I'm very excited yeah. about? That's a good question. I mean, I think there's a lot of companies that are doing pretty interesting things. You know, I think the ones that are maybe most um, exciting to me are the ones that are a little bit more under the radar, um, that are just doing something a little bit different um, with Lightning. Um, but the ones that are kind of like biggest and really focused on onboarding a lot of people, I think, I think are really important. So I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to kind of like leave them out as exciting. Um, but certainly, you know, I, I saw, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but, you know, I, I've seen a couple of games that, you know, have um, lightning wagers on the outcome with kind of a third party server that gives the pre-image to the winner as a way of kind of, um, you know, having kind of an impartial arbiter. Uh, and I think that's just really cool. And I think there's a lot of similar kinds of concepts that could be built like that. Um, so I, I, I wish I could remember the name, but, but that was, that was one that was just super interesting to me. Okay. Understood. Uh, kind of jumping back slightly, have you uh, kind of run into any issues using Lightning at all? You know, uh, real challenges or anything that kind of slowed you down while building out SparkSwap? So many. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, it, yeah, I mean, we've been working with uh, Lightning for quite some time. And so over that over that time, we've gotten better at, at working with Lightning. And, and also, you know, a lot of the tools have gotten better. You know, I think even just understanding and being able to decipher error messages, um, you know, things like the kind of infamous can't find path to destination, just knowing kind of what the possible causes of that are and easy ways to, to diagnose that I think are really important to, you know, to being able to work on lightning. You know, I, th I actually think another kind of huge improvement over the last year in terms of working with lightning is just the, the number and the quality of the wallets that are out there. You know, when when we started working on this stuff, it was pretty much just using the command line interface and, and the APIs, which is fine. But, you know, you, you just have to do a lot of work with those. Um, and so the ability to use kind of these pretty well tested wallets, I think, has has helped a lot. I think nowadays kind of some of our biggest challenges are really just around channel management. You know, opening channels takes time, takes variable amount of time. Um, closing channels can be an interesting challenge at times. Uh, you know, getting some forced closed channels is always fun. Um, so, you know, trying to manage that uh, appropriately and, you know, debug issues with that um, has, has been an interesting challenge for us. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that's probably one of the biggest hurdles that we've gotten over that has made us better is having a stable, 
you know, simulated Bitcoin network um, that works with Lightning. Um, it's still not 100%, but, you know, we use kind of a, the regression testing uh, network that we've we've done some work to make sure that L&D works well with it. Um, we still have problems because when you kind of mine blocks every 10 seconds rather than every 10 minutes, there's just kind of different things that go on. But that has by far been kind of the biggest thing to increase our productivity as developers. Okay. And then kind of moving on from there, is there anything about, you know, lightning in general that you're skeptical about that, you know, it may not do X, Y, Z? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things about lightning that are, you know, perhaps unproven or, or risky. You know, I, I think we've, you know, with Bitcoin, we've kind of had this hot, cold wallet paradigm um, where, you know, hot wallets are dangerous and risky and cold wallets are safe. I don't know that that's necessarily like true, but that's really kind of the way that we think about it and the way that we treat it. And I think with Lightning, we're going to have to to adjust and update that and figure out ways to make Bitcoin secure while still having it be, you know, available to uh, you know, open Lightning channels or or maybe, you know, there's some kind of other interaction model where Opening lightning channels and closing them requires, you know, some cold wallet, uh, but but Bitcoin that's in lightning channels um, can just sit in there. So I, I think the security of, of Bitcoin when it comes to lightning is something really important. And I think especially as the lightning network grows and individual nodes have you know, a lot of Bitcoin on them in order to, to operate, um, I think that will be a really, really big, important problem to solve. You know, I think we'll be able to solve it, but I, I do think that that's one that's still kind of yet to be solved. Um, I I also think that the trade-off between privacy and um, convenience when it comes to routing payments is a really, really hard challenge. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the biggest frustrations that users, especially new users, have with Lightning is... You know, it seems like my payments fail for no reason, and I can't figure out why, and I can't figure out how to fix it. Um, and a lot of the solutions to that problem really involve a lot of privacy trade-offs, uh, which was is really kind of like outside the the design principles of the network. Um, so I think that's that's an important problem to solve. I don't know. I don't know of any really great proposals to solve it. I'm sure there are people that are working on it. Um, but that that's that's a hard challenge as well. I also think, you know, kind of related to that, I think the hub and spoke issue is a real one. I think we'll see kind of how the how the network develops, but you know, it was designed and intended as more or less a mesh network that didn't have these uh, central choke points, but people like convenience, you know, you can see apps that exist already or companies or services that are really about, you know, hey, connect to our node because we're a well-connected node. And so I think it will be interesting to see kind of how that develops, whether it whether it stays pretty mesh-like or whether we see kind of bigger hubs emerge. Um, I think that will be a challenge for the kind of community and, and the network to, to continually be finding ways to make sure that it doesn't become too too reliant on large hubs. So along those same lines, would you say that Ellen Big is a concern then? Not for me personally. You know, I, I kind of whenever I hear about Ellen Big, I always kind of hear counterpoints about, you know, yes, there's a lot of capacity, but actually in terms of kind of transactions that Ellen Big is facilitating, it's maybe not as many as you might assume. So, you know, I don't know that it's Ellen Big that I'm worried about 
I think I'm more worried about, you know, some other, some other large, large hub that, you know, that has a lot of users for whatever reason becoming, becoming too important. I'm not, I'm not sure that Ellen Big has kind of reached that territory yet of, you know, really being a concern for me. I, I guess I don't feel, I guess to put it another way, I don't feel like I need to connect my node to Ellen Big to get connectivity to the rest of the network. Understood. I suppose what I'm kind of, you know, asking more so is I, I see a lot of skepticism about Ellen Big just because he has, you know, half of the capacity of the network, you know, under his belt there. Do you see any concern in relation to that? Not really. I mean, you know, I think that if you have a lot of Bitcoin and and you want to become known as the person that has a bunch of capacity on Lightning, like that's an option for you. But, you know, I don't know that I don't know that that his use of Lightning really represents that's not sort of like something that I think of as like really doing more than just being a a number to broadcast about. Um, I could be wrong about that. But you know, for example, one of the things we do is we open a lot of private channels. Um, so you're not going to see us in this, you know, huge capacity number, even though we have a lot of channels open. Um, so, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that someone like Ellen Big is necessary. Like, I, I don't think that that reflects the true nature of the network and kind of how it's operating. Okay, so kind of, you know, uh, talking about private channels here a little bit, a criticism that I see quite often is, oh, man, you know, the uh, total capacity is going down and people generally seem to be not not giving credence to the idea of private channels. Do you suspect that there is a fair amount of private channels with a decent amount of BTC out there? It's interesting. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to speculate because you don't know what other people's use cases are. You know, we have them because we think it's a nice feature for our users that, you know, they may not necessarily want people to know that they're, you know, buying Bitcoin from us or, or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's certainly possible that there are other people that kind of think similarly to us that, you know, there's no reason to, unless you're routing through your node, there's really no reason to kind of broadcast to the network uh, that this channel even exists. Because if you're, if you're the destination or the origin node, like you can, you can just manage that without broadcasting that channel to the network. So it's it's certainly possible that, you know, as kind of the use cases of Lightning get more built out, that people people are being a little more conscious of what they broadcast to the network and what they don't. Uh, but it's, it's, I mean, it's sort of, it's kind of funny that people, you know, look at statistics of Lightning and try to extrapolate transaction numbers because a lot of the design of Lightning is around privacy. Um, and so a lot of those facts and figures are, are intentionally very difficult to figure out. Um, so I think kind of any analysis of, you know, data on lightning is going to be sort of inherently, you know, inherently flawed or inherently just, you know, hard to do. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's possible. Okay. Do you think that the lightning network is an important privacy tool onto itself? I do because I, you know, I think that it it gives people a way to, to transact, you know, I, I think Bitcoin being able to have, you know, a, this huge public ledger, you know, has a lot of really interesting advantages, but I don't think it's appropriate in all cases. And so I think having ways to transact without that component is good, uh, generally speaking. So, you know, I, I think I think Lightning as a tool to do that is good. Got it. Okay. I'm kind of moving on slightly. Is there any uh, technology improvements that you're excited about or looking forward to or, you know, hoping that you could, you know, get into SparkSwap or something like that? Yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming to Lightning that I think is, you know, interesting and exciting. You know, I think Neutrino is officially not on mainnet, but I think that that's an important thing for onboarding new users to to Lightning is is Neutrino support. So, you know, that's something that sort of people already 
already think about as being here, but um, you know, continuing work on that and really having sort of official mainnet support for that would be would be really good. You know, increasing channel sizes I think is important. You know, obviously for I'm, I'm biased because we want to be able to sell more Bitcoin, but uh, you know, I think that that's an important one. Other kind of channel management features I think are good. You know, things like uh, atomic multipath payments. You know, sometimes called AMP. I think that's a, a valuable tool as well as you know splicing, being able to increase and decrease the size of channels that are already open. You know, I, I think those are those are really important tools in order for the kind of whole concept of a channel to be something that a user doesn't really need to worry about as much. You know, if we have kind of easy ways to manage channel sizes and capacity, I think that will be, I think that will be a really big improvement. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that that kind of pop to my mind immediately. You know, there are some other smaller things around permissions that I think are, are important. I actually think, I don't know if you're familiar with the web LN uh, API spec that, you know, Jewel uses, but I think that those types of interoperability things between clients, you know, not necessarily on the kind of network layer, but for applications that are kind of building on top of clients the way SparkSwap is, I think those types of efforts are, are really valuable just so that we can have, you know, kind of more interesting tools that get built on top of um, Lightning clients or Lightning wallets. Okay. I just want to go a bit more broad now. Um, would you say that you're overall bullish about Bitcoin? Absolutely. Uh, I would not be. I would not be in this business if I wasn't. I, I think it's important to take a a long term view when it comes to Bitcoin. A, a lot of my friends who are not in Bitcoin talk to me a lot about the price of Bitcoin, but you know, for me, I don't really think about it too much. And the you know the people where I work, we don't talk about it too much. So. You know, I think taking the long-term view about what Bitcoin means for for money and for us as a society is important. And kind of with that lens, I'm, you know, I'm extremely bullish. All right. You know, similar to the previous question I asked about Lightning, is there anything kind of more on the Bitcoin side that you're looking forward to? You know, the Bitcoin, the, the new stuff coming to Bitcoin, I don't pay as close attention to in part because, you know, it's it's just rightfully so it just takes longer for for changes to get made there and i you know i oftentimes view them with kind of a view to you know an eye towards how is this going to affect lightning and things like that so kind of you know i think the neutrino support in bitcoin d is is like an interesting interesting and important thing so i i think that will be that will be a good thing i know not everyone agrees with that but i think that will be a good thing for bitcoin you know i, I have a, a coworker who is adamant that you know, Schnorr signatures are really, really important to the future of Bitcoin and will enable a ton of, of interesting use cases. And he's made some compelling arguments for that. So that's probably kind of the, the next biggest thing for me that I think about as far as, you know, changes coming to Bitcoin that I'm excited about. Is there anything that worries you about the future of Bitcoin? You know, I think I think the the regulation is something is something I, I think about. You know, I think we've kind of been able to walk this line so far with you know the governments of the world but i do worry that uh, i do worry about just you know is bitcoin going to be made illegal in some large important country in the next few years you know there's a lot of countries that have already done things that are sort of not not great for bitcoin but um you know can can we grow this to a point where we can survive that? Um, you know, hopefully we've gotten there already, but that's something that I worry about for sure. And, you know, I, I think that the technology, you know, just continuing to to grow in terms of having more ways to use it. I, I think that's important. 
you know, I think that Bitcoin has a lot of great use cases already today, but continuing to expand those and and making Bitcoin kind of a, a legitimate replacement for more and more things that we do in the financial system today, I think I think would be would be good for Bitcoin. So, to the extent that those kinds of efforts stop or slow, I, I don't think that would be you know that makes me a little bit nervous for Bitcoin. Okay, that's pretty much all the questions I had today. Uh, did you want to let the listeners know how they can find you on the internet and such? Sure. Yeah. Um, so you know you can download SparkSwap uh, desktop at SparkSwap.com. You know we're also on Twitter at SparkSwap. I'm personally on Twitter at tgriff3. Yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, we hope that you'll check out SparkSwap Desktop and we're happy to, to take suggestions or help in any way we can. All right, perfect. Well, Trey, I really appreciate you joining me on the Lightning Junkies podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That was the fourth episode of the Lightning Junkies podcast. Did you learn anything? Did you take anything away from that? I certainly did, and I hope you did too. I'm definitely looking forward to the SparkSwap mobile app. It'll be a great way to be able to refill my Lightning Network channels without having to use any on-chain transactions. If you took anything away or learned anything from this podcast, I'd ask that you please consider chipping in to the crowdfunding campaign or tipping me at tipping.me or bottle.li. All of those links are in the show notes. Just as a reminder, I'll be attending the Lightning Network conference in Berlin in the middle of October. I'll be bringing a lot of great content, so if you don't want to miss it, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review so others can be aware of the show as well. Until next time, I'll see you on the Lightning Network.